0: mm <sighs> We are in the second week of a new series about generosity, and I want to say thank you so much for coming back. I know that sometimes when people talk about generosity and giving and money in church, it's like, they, you know, just want to run far, far away because it feels like pressure, it feels like stress, it feels like anxiety, you think, oh my goodness, they're just going to like go after me and it's awkward and weird, but actually I, I think this is a really exciting area to talk about. This is something that I get excited about, and it's not not because I get paid by church nowadays, but it's Actually, because I have seen in my own life that this is a real area where God can bring healing, where God can bring freedom, where God can bring joy, where God can bring transformation. And I know that actually in my story, the times in my life when I have gone down the journey of generosity, it's amazing how other things in my life have strangely sorted themselves out into a good place. Where at the times in my life when I have walked away from generosity and I've got scared and anxious and tried to hoard stuff, it's amazing how other things in my life have also slightly fallen apart. And so I'm excited that we get to go through this journey over the next four weeks. And like I said last week, if you can, if you miss a Sunday, do catch it on the podcast, do catch it on the YouTube channel, because this is going to be a little thing that we're going to build on all the way up till the end of uh, February. So I I introduced us last week to this idea of, of a river and a pond, if you remember. I said that basically in the kingdom of God, the idea for generosity is that you and I are invited to be people who receive from the throne of heaven, receive the good things of of God's kingdom that he has set aside in advance for us and that the job that we have is to be people who pass those good things through, to pass them on like a river out into the world as opposed to what well, sometimes we think about generosity, this idea that we're a lake and we're supposed to just kind of like hoard all the blessings that we can get hold of. Now, just in case you're wondering, I didn't make that up, uh, that is a nice idea, but it actually is what God said to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation, and I will bless you. See, there it comes from the kingdom of heaven, and I will make your name great, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. That Abraham's blessing that he was given in order to steward over the the God's people, the Israelites, and obviously to become the father of the Jewish and then the Christian people was so that he would receive blessings so that he could bless. He was blessed so that he could be a blessing. Um, But I don't know, as you've been maybe thinking about this idea the last week, maybe you talked about it in your community groups. um, I don't know how you've kind of responded. Um, Maybe, you know, joyfully, maybe a bit like, well, you know, Ben, that's a really nice idea. I'd love to be a river. I feel a little bit more like one of those California streams that last saw any water in 1935, um, or, or I'm more like a California river that most of the time has nothing in it, but occasionally some water comes down it and then it's gone again. Um, maybe you did. Like, oh man, I'm the Mississippi River. Like I love this stuff because I'm I am fast flowing and wide. Good stuff has been going on for a long time. Um, or maybe um, if you're honest, you got to the end of last week and thought, yeah, okay, I am, I am kind of the lake. I am the one who knows. What What it is to have financial goals to steward to get my own stuff but i'm not quite sure what it really means to be generous ongoing and to flow out into the world Um, and so my hope is and my prayer is that over these next four weeks that wherever you are however you feel, that every single one of us would be able to take just a little bit more of a step towards understanding the generosity, the goodness, the blessings of the Lord, to, to widen our rivers, to help them to become a little bit more life-giving and fast-flowing so that we can understand more of what it means to be a channel of blessing of God into the world. So um, today I'm borrowing some work from a wonderful guy, a guy called Louis Giglio. Some of you will know him super well. And what I want to talk to you about today is that it is absolutely crazy and wonderful and absurd that we get to be part of God's story of blessing. That it is crazy and wonderful and absurd that we get to be part of what God wants to do in blessing the world. So if you've got your Bibles... Um, Always great to bring a Bible to Vintage, by the way. Uh, You can find it on your phone, if not, or if you really can't find it, it'll be on the screens. Uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And we're going to be in the NIV translation. So I'll give you five seconds to find it before I start reading it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Page on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her and tie them and bring them to be. Okay, big donkey and little donkey. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So as you go into the village, as you go into the town, someone's gonna ask you, As you take the big donkey and the little donkey, and it will be a guy, say to them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Verse eight, a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him were those that followed and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, that you are so generous. Thank you that you are so kind. Thank you that you are so good. And Lord, this morning, may we understand, unpack, hear something more of what you have for our stories and for our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you've heard this passage before. If you have been around churches for a significant period of time, you might have even heard it as much as once every year because it's, this is the passage or one of the gospel accounts of what we talk about on Palm Sunday. So Jesus has just conducted this incredible three years of ministry. He's called his disciples. He's seen healings happen. Lives have been transformed. He's claimed to be the Messiah. And here he is arriving at the finale, the big moment of the gospel account when Jesus is going to die on the cross and rise again. But before he gets there, there is this one big final motion, which is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's climactic. It's hugely important. Churches around the world go through this account all the time. But actually, you've probably not looked at it as we are going to look at it now. Because in it, I want to talk to you about two donkeys and one guy. (laughs) Now, you're probably going, hold on, there was only one donkey in this story. I'm sure there was only one donkey. Why are there two donkeys in this story? But there are two donkeys in this gospel account. And the first point I want to make is this, that in generosity, it is totally crazy and absurd that God asks you and me for anything. In generosity, it is absurd that God asks us for something. The fact that the God who created the universe, who flung the stars into space, who put planets out there, ever asked you and me for anything is absolutely absurd. Right? If God needed to get his son into Jerusalem in order to go through this incredible moment of crucifixion and rising again, and if he needed a way of transporting his son into the city, he probably could have done this. Hmm, I think I need a donkey. (laughs) There's a donkey, right? I think I need more than a donkey. We haven't invented one yet. Let's get a Ferrari. (laughs) Okay, there's a Ferrari. God could have invented Air Force One 2,000 years ago and flown his son into Jerusalem. But God didn't do any of those things. What God chose to do was to go to an extremely ordinary man and say, I need to borrow your donkeys, Right? God can create and do anything he wants into the world. I know you know that, right? If God wants to create a church in a place with a slightly strange old name in a city like Pasadena, he can go, there's a church called Vintage Pasadena. If God wants a hospital, if he wants an orphanage, if he wants uh, to uh, build a homeless shelter, if he wants to build a seminary, God is absolutely entirely capable of doing anything he wants. But yet, he doesn't. What God, in fact, does is he comes to people and asks them to borrow the very things that he's created in the first place. And isn't that crazy? It's crazy because it's his anyway. And I'm, I'm not going to do the whole story about the donuts, and you know that story, right? But Psalm 24 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who lived in it. God comes to us to borrow something from us that was already his in the first place. And amazingly, he actually asks nicely when he chooses to do it, right? He could have said, okay, so go into the town, find the guy, he's got two donkeys, you're gonna need the two donkeys, just tell them they're mine, so we're going. He doesn't, he asks. God comes to us in the kingdom of God in order to join with us. And I think sometimes, you know, when we think about generosity, this is at least the story that I've lived, we think about things like this. Well, everything that I have is mine. I worked really hard to get it, or I invested in Bitcoin in like 2001. Like I, I've really gone hard for this, and so I'm going to hold on to this because it's mine. And if I have a little bit left over, and I really think that I can afford it once I've done everything else that I know that I need to do, then I might consider being generous with it if... I actually know exactly what's going to happen to this thing that I do, right? Okay, so if uh, the church or an organization says, we really need you to partner in generosity, what I sometimes think is, okay, that's fantastic, but what are you actually going to do with the thing that I'm going to give? And if I'm really honest, there have been times in the past when I have watched churches say, we really need you to be generous, and I've thought... You're going to spend it on an organ, (laughs) or you're going to start a flag waving workshop, or you're going to do something with it that I don't actually like the sound of, and so therefore I'm not going to do it because it's mine and I want to be in control of it, and so I'm going to hold on to it until such a time as I find something which I can afford, which I 100% absolutely agree with it, that I have control in what happens to it, and it's absolutely okay, and then I will be generous. Right? Now, I'm not saying we should be stupid with money. Um, There was a a fantastic true story um, of a famous footballer in England about 10 years ago who was found uh, driving around the city where he played in his Ferrari, throwing cash out of the window at passers-by. And uh, somebody flagged him down and said, like, hey, what what are you doing? To which his very simple and very profound answer was, well, I'm rich. It's like, I don't think... Like, that is what God means by generosity. But I do think that interestingly, when we are in a relationship with the creator of the universe and we start to realize that everything we have was actually God's in the first place, then isn't the answer to the question, Will you loan back to me something that was mine in the first place? Are you kidding me? You are asking me for some of the money that belongs to you to give some of the money to you to do something that you could have done without involving me in the first place so that you can bring your kingdom plans to bear on the earth. Okay, right? You don't look very excited this morning. I'm like, I've clearly lost you on Super Bowl Sunday. But, but, but to me, that's a really exciting idea that God chooses to involve us in his story. The second reason I think that this generosity thing is kind of crazy is that God chooses to ride into cities and towns on the generosity of ordinary people, right? God rides into Jerusalem on the generosity of a guy who has a big donkey and a little donkey, a mummy donkey and a baby donkey, um, I was trying to think of how I could represent to you these two donkeys, which are screwing with our minds, because we're like, I'm sure there was only one donkey in the story. Okay, but this is kind of maybe today, if you were in the world, this is the kind of guy who might have had a big, big donkey. This is my best interpretation of a big donkey. Okay, there it is. Um, and you were probably wondering, what's a little donkey look like then? This is what a little donkey looks like. There you are. I realize we live in LA, and we've never seen these before. They're called tractors. Uh, in the rest of the world, right? This is how God rode into Jerusalem, and this is how God always actually comes into cities. He didn't say, okay, right, disciples, what I really need is, the appropriate thing is I need a Ferrari, so go and find the most powerful person in the city. Actually, it wouldn't have been a Ferrari. Maybe a bespoke custom edition camel Go and find the richest guy with the bespoke custom edition camel, and we're going to use him to bring the generosity into the city. What does he do? He says, I just need a guy who's got a donkey. What I find amazing is that in the kingdom of God, God seems to always want to partner with ordinary people. Like, how easy, when we think about generosity, is it for us to say something like, well, one day, I'm going to be the most generous guy on the planet. When I have done this, when I earn that, when I have sorted that out, when I have got my very own like version of Facebook, I'm going to be the most, ver- most, r- most incredibly generous person. But yet, actually, that is not how God works. What God actually says is, if you've got a Ferrari... Fantastic, we use the Ferrari. But if you have a donkey, we use the donkey. It's the ordinary person, almost always in the Bible, who in, in the eyes of the world, who gives extraordinary to the purposes of God that God chooses to use in his story. Are you with me? Sort of. Like, God doesn't just appear in cities generally. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I've never seen God just turn up on the angels in the middle of a city and go, bang, by the way, I'm here. What God does instead is that God comes in using the mechanism that generosity provides in the world. And astonishingly, even though he could, in this instance, have arrived with pomp and splendor and all sorts of amazing things, actually what it says is that he arrived on the back of these two very normal animals and it says the whole city was stirred. That this act, which was two disciples going to see a man, can I borrow your donkeys? Yes, you can borrow my donkeys. It says, actually set off a tidal wave in the city, and when Jesus comes in on the back of generosity, the whole city is stirred. When God arrives on our generosity into a city, the cities are supposed to be stirred by that, right? Now, I don't know exactly what God has for your neighborhood. I don't know what God has for your town. I don't know what God has for your school or your college or the place that you work. I do absolutely believe that in this city, we, the local church, will always be part of it. I do know, because I believe that the local church is the hope for the world, it's God's mechanism by which he's given us to the world, right? I do believe that preaching will be part of it. I do believe that things like Alpha will be part of it. The great kids' ministry and great evangelism will always be part of the story, but I do know also that behind all of those things, that God's plan will always come out of a place of generosity, right? That God's plans will always ride in on the generosity of ordinary people who look extremely ordinary in the eyes of the world doing extraordinary things in the kingdom of God by loaning back to God the things that God has given to us so that we can partner with him to see what he wants to see happen in our cities. Did you catch any of that? One person. That's good. Okay, so that's the second thing. I'm going to persuade you you're not like you're giving me a hard time this morning but i'm going to persuade you i'm going to try okay well the holy spirit is maybe more likely okay the third thing of why generosity is so crazy is that our generosity writes us into the story of god just hold that our generosity writes us into the story of god what writes us out of the story of god is our fear is our idolatry, is our, de- our desire to be in control. But what writes us into God's story is usually the fact that we will respond in, to his goodness with our generosity. right? Um, I don't know if this happens in California. Maybe you could t- tell me, I don't know. But when, when I was growing up, when I was really small and I lived in England, um, there was always this thing that happened at recess where that someone would pull out a football, the round one, and they would pull out, and they would get two captains of the team who were like the two good players, and one of them would be on each side, and then all the, all the, the, the kids would line up along, and then basically they would choose who they wanted to be on their teams. And so inevitably what would happen is like the best kids would always get picked first, and then it would just carry on, and it would carry on until it would get down to the kids that like basically were not popular or cool or could not play at all. And so they would be like, okay, you can be the goalie, right? You can go and be on that, that team. I think if God was choosing who he wanted to be on his generosity team for the world, he could have done it quite differently. I mean, if I, if I was God and I was picking my generosity team for the world, I think it, it would probably have gone like this. I think I'm going to start with like Mark, Zuckerberg. He looks, he looks like he's, a bit, he's got cool hair and, and you know, he's got this thing with social media, so let's pick him. I think I'd have probably gone, okay, and now I'm going to go for Bill right? Gates because he's philanthropic. That's probably a word. Not quite right, is it? He, he's good at that and he's kind of a nice guy and I'm going to pick him and I'm going to go for Jeff Bezos and I'm going to go for, I don't know, I'm going to go for this guy and this guy and probably if I've got the five best people on the planet, I've probably got the whole world sorted, all the resources I could ever need. That's my team that isn't who god ever chooses primarily to be on his team um, i don't know if you've actually noticed that you and i are not in the gospels i mean you know maybe had you lived 2000 years ago around jerusalem you might have snuck into the Gospels. I'm not in the Gospels, but I figure that if you or I did live 2,000 years ago around Jerusalem, the reason that we might have made it into the Gospels was not because one day Jesus would have gone, Jesus was walking down the street and there was a guy called Andy, and Andy was so beautiful and so smart and he's so rich and he had everything together that Jesus said, I've just got to include this guy in the Gospel because he's so fantastic. I mean, maybe he would have done, I don't know. Maybe, but, but more likely... Jesus would have chosen any of us because of our response to his gospel with our generosity. right? My favorite, one of my favorite characters in the gospels is a, is a widow. She's the, literally the bottom end of every spectrum that you can draw up in social life. She has two coins of might, two tiny little coins. She has little to nothing. And she goes into the temple alongside some super rich business guy who's got these two massive sacks of gold. And the two massive sacks of gold are his tithe, his 10% that he wants to be generous with and give. And so the rich guy goes in and he smashes down these two sacks of gold and he looks around and everyone thinks, wow, this guy's so fantastic. Look at the difference in the kingdom of God that these two sacks of gold are going to make. And of course the, the, the widow, she walks in with these two tiny coins and she puts the two tiny coins down and nobody notices anything except Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, which of these two people understands generosity and the kingdom of God? And of course, the answer is the widow understands. There's a boy who has two fish and five loaves. Powerful? No. Influential? No. Popular? Who knows? Like mature and well-educated? Unlikely but yet he's prepared to share his packed lunch with Jesus. He is the center of one of the most profound miracles in the New Testament of the Bible, right? There's a guy called Joseph of Arimathea. We don't even know very much about Joseph of Arimathea other than he was prepared to loan to Jesus a tomb when Jesus needed a tomb. And he is in the Gospels. The people who God almost always seems to include in his gospel accounts, in fact, all the way through the Bible, are not the people who were the smartest, the bravest, the richest, the people who've got it all sorted. In fact, they were the very people often who were very weak, were very meshed up, were very broken, but actually through their little acts of responding to God's prompting and invitations in their lives got to be part of God's eternal plans and purposes for for his story, right? It's amazing, it's, it's absolutely amazing that God chooses to use these kind of moments to write people into the story of God. And it's also amazing that he's been planning these probably forever, but at least for a very long time. In this Palm Sunday passage, there's this big quote from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9. And Zechariah 9.9 was written 500 years before Jesus. Jesus. And 500 years before Jesus, there was a prophet that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem, riding on a big donkey and a little donkey, in a particular way, in a particular place, in a particular time that would be the climactic moment of the history of the universe. And 500 years after the prophet Zechariah said that, one dude's generosity fulfilled God's destiny for the city. Isn't that crazy? You're still not convinced. Okay, it, I, I think this is crazy. It's, I, I'm excited by this stuff anyway. Sorry. But but I'm also excited by like what is God's promise for Pasadena or South Pass or Arcadia or Sierra Madre or Glendale or Burbank or wherever you live. What is God's promise that he already, many thousands, millions, whenever amount of time ago, ordained that you and I could join in with what he wants to do in a particular place in a particular time that we get to be part of? right? What is it? And the truth is, I don't know. I don't often, even when I'm generous, get to see what God does. How many times when we feel prompted to tithes or we feel prompted to join in in some moment of kindness and generosity and care for another person that we don't see the outcomes. But God does see the outcomes. I mean, if I think about my life, probably more than 99.9% of the time, I have no idea what eternal story God is writing through the little acts of generosity that I get called into. I just don't know. And Sometimes, just occasionally, I, I do. I remember um, a couple of years back, Laura and I, we both woke up in the middle of the night and just felt like we just have got to write a check to this person that we knew. And we didn't really know their story or their, what was going on, but we just both just felt like we just got to write a check. Now, trust me, when we write a check to someone, people's mortgages are not paid off. Like it's, it's, not, it's not that exciting. It really isn't that exciting. So we just wrote a little card and Bible verse in the card, anonymous check, put it in the mailbox the next day and... Like, that was it. I forgot all about it, to be honest. But a couple of weeks later, suddenly, this, this person just, like, we're just talking to them, and they said, you, you won't believe it. Like, you just, you will not believe it. Like, we just had pretty much decided that God had forgotten about us. We pretty much got to the bottom. We thought God didn't care anymore. He didn't love us. We were doing the wrong things with our life. And then, just out of the blue, like, there was a check and a card and an encouraging Bible verse in the mailbox the next morning. Now, I mean, it's tiny seemingly insignificant, the amount of money will not change their lives in the slightest, but it was a glimmer of what happens when we're generous, of what God is doing in the eternal heavenly realms when we are prepared to give back to God the very things that God gave to us to open up our hands in generosity to see blessings come in the world. And God's promise is that one day you will be in heaven if you know and love Jesus, and when you're in heaven, you will see it. You will get a glimpse, the treasures, that you have been storing up, the things that you have been working on, not when you were smart, not when you were right, not when you'd got all your stuff together or you'd found the perfect church or the perfect cause or the most theologically brilliant people to glean off or when you were the most best-looking person in the world, but literally when you were prepared to say, it's freaking scary, but here you go. Would you do something with this? When we do that, God's promise is that He will turn and multiply the generosity that we give to transform people's lives. The fourth thing, and don't worry, I've only got four. We're going to speak about this lots more next week, but is this You always, in the kingdom of God, get back more than you give. You always get back more than you give. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. Um, I don't actually believe if you put like $100 in the church offering today, there'll be a Ferrari sitting on your driveway. Maybe there is already, in which case I'd love to have dinner with you after this, after this not really, no. But, but what I do know is that God is infinitely, incredibly more generous than you are he is infinitely and passionately more able to bless than you are and so when you give back to God the things that are God's God's promise is that you will not be without let's go back to the story the guy got the donkeys back you noticed they didn't crucify the donkeys they crucified Jesus not the donkeys. I, I don't know how the story played out. Maybe the disciples came to the guy and were like, "Hey, can we borrow your donkeys?" And he was like, "Okay, you can borrow the donkeys." And so they, they went off, and maybe the man just followed behind. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the journey from the Mount of Olives to over the Kidron Valley to Jerusalem—it's only about an hour. So it's, it's not like a massive deal going on here, and maybe the man follows behind, and suddenly the donkeys are in the center of the story, and the palm branches are going down, and everyone's going like crazy, and and then you know Jesus gets to Jerusalem and he gets off the donkeys, and you know everyone's wondering how do you ride two donkeys? I don't know how you ride two donkeys, but he gets off the donkeys, and the disciples say, well here's the donkeys back, thank you for loaning us the donkeys, and then they go home with the donkeys. I don't know, maybe the, maybe the wife said to the guy at the end of the day, like, how was your day, honey? I don't know, I got up this morning, someone offered to borrow two donkeys, I gave them the two donkeys, I followed along, it was a bit crazy, but don't worry, everything's fine, the donkeys are just in the stable having a nice time now. Everything's fine, it's all good. That, that, no, one, no one got hurt, it was all, all a really good day. When you give to God, God's promises that he will always, always give back to you some way, whatever you give, I said, you know, last week this is a month for us as a church when we are transitioning from being under the leadership or under the like kind of the legal and the financial responsibility of Vintage Santa Monica, and as of March the first, we're going to be a totally independent, you know, church with our own legals and financial things, all of our own, and it's very scary. But and because of it, we've we've actually got to raise about another, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a month, which is quite a lot of money of giving across 2022 and into 2023. It's, it's huge. But actually, it's really easy for me to ask you guys to join Laura and I, and I mean that, both of us, to join with us together in generosity. Because whatever you do, you can't really lose, right? If, if I get my giving slide up with the four things on it, if you give anything in two weeks' time when we have a giving and gift day Sunday, and you're like, man, I've never given anything to a church before because it's all crazy and weird, but I'd love to get involved in this story, and you give $100 into an offering, you'll get it back somehow. If you go, well, actually, I've given bits of pieces in the past to churches when people have put enough pressure on me or I've had a little bit left over, but now I want to make a discipline to say generosity is going to be part of my story, so as something comes into my life, I'm going to make sure that it goes straight out into generosity, then The great news is every month or every two weeks, whatever you do, you'll get something back. If you are in a place where in two weeks' time you say, actually, I've already been doing that, but I want to now stretch. I want to reorder my finances so it's not now, I don't know, rent, car payment, iPhone payment, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Netflix, Spotify, ESPN, I don't know, wherever you go, giving when when it's down there. And you want to say, actually, I want to make this a bit more costly and generous and sacrificial, then the great news is you're going to get it back. Even if you're the, the, on the fourth box and you're like, well, I was the person who figured out tithing when I was you know, just a teenager and I've been giving 10% of my income and I figured out the before tax and after tax thing. I figured that out a long time ago and I've been tithing because that's a rule and you want to say, actually, I want to take my river and I'm going to stretch it a little bit further to see more of God's blessing than I've ever seen before, then you're going to get it back. Because you can't out-give God. When you actually give to God, you aren't really giving away anything. All you're doing is opening a doorway to get something more. That's what generosity is. You are loaning to God what God had given you to do something that he could have done without you so that then you could get written into the eternal story of God and get blessed. Isn't that cool? I think, I'm like, "That's that's a pretty cool deal. And by the way, when you get to heaven that thing that you gave anyway will have been multiplied in miraculous ways and it will be given to you in some sort of treasure thing that I don't fully understand, but it's incredible. As far as I can see, you don't even have to have a lot of faith to give generously. You just have to be smart because you can't lose. It's like we all look for something we're gonna invest our lives in. Here's like the best thing you can possibly invest your life in that you you can't lose. In fact, we believe that so much as a church that we actually underwrite the underwriting of your gifts. Which, what I mean is this if if you actually go through the website and you choose to give as a first time giver or a new gift, and at any point in the first three months, you figure, man, I'm actually, I was without. I gave something, I was without, I didn't have enough, I was screwed. You actually have an ability to write one email, doesn't come to me, it goes to the finance office, I know nothing about it, to ask for your money back. And we go, fine, you have the money back. But we can do that, and it's quite easy for us to do that, because we know that actually God's already underwritten your gift. So you can't lose by being generous. And it's because of that that I always want to say, as your pastor, let's be the generous people that God called us to be. Let's not be afraid, where we feel like it's mine, and I'm not going to have enough, and I'm going to put a damn in my life, and I'm going to get anxious and control over, and I'm going to worship the money, when God wants to just say to you and me, Ben, I got stacks of stuff. I got loads of stuff. You and me, we've got loads of stuff, because you're in me, and I'm in you, and what's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours, and we're in this together, and it's going to be Okay. If you'll open your hands, I'll open my hands and everything will be okay. And that's the promise. It's the promise of generosity because ultimately, even before this story, this Palm Sunday story is about donkeys and a dude and two disciples. It's about Jesus. That God was so generous to you that even in your brokenness, in your pain, he gave himself to you in Jesus. He died on a cross for you in order to give you the gift of eternal life that you couldn't have got any other way. And if that isn't proof to you that God is insanely and astonishingly loving and kind and generous, then I genuinely don't know what else is. Because God loves you and he wants to take you on this wild ride of adventure of love and generosity and things that you can't even understand yet but it starts and it comes out of that response to say, God, I don't get it. I don't know what it is. I don't even think I can afford it. I can't do anything else. But if you're in it, I'll join you and let's take an event together. Should we pray?